So I speak to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The oppressed, instead of striving for liberation, tend themselves to become oppressors. Now those are the words of Paulo Freire, a Brazilian educator and philosopher, who had a profound effect on teaching and learning around the time I was at university and Knox College. The oppressed tend to become oppressors after they've been liberated. So Freire summed up much of human history with those words, but he also sounded a warning to the people who were caught up at that time in movements and missions for the liberation of the poor in Central and South America. Now when you believe God liberates you, God gives you or gives you back the land, well, in the name of defense, those once oppressed tend to become oppressors. And when you believe God doesn't just give you permission, but orders you to take the land and drive all the people out or kill them, well, you get the book of Joshua. The conquest of the promised land is told in stories of violence and victory, and other accounts and other scripture paint a different picture. Throughout biblical history, to the time of Jesus, Israel is always a minority, dreaming of power, surrounded by greater powers, and several times conquered by oppressors. One of the biggest challenges the people of ancient Israel face is maintaining their identity, their lives as people of their God, surrounded by people who bow to other gods. And ancient Israel following Moses and Miriam and Aaron to freedom needs how to learn how to live free. Free, but still bound to God in covenant. The Torah, the law of Moses, is given to guide the Israelites in their daily living and in their relationships with their neighbors. That's why Jesus says the second great commandment is what it is. We read commandments five through nine today by our way of counting the commandments. We'll leave that long one about coveting until next Sunday. But people in our part of the world often treat the Ten Commandments as a code of personal morality that can and should be imposed on everybody. And sometimes, as I said last Sunday, sometimes we treat the Ten Commandments as a magic formula. If we only follow them to the letter, all our social problems will be solved. But if we take them seriously, we realize how hard it is to honor the commandments to the last letter. Even Jesus' law of love, we know how difficult it is to love people we don't already know or don't like. Jesus says the laws of Moses, as written, will never be erased. But he recognizes how difficult it is to obey. He teaches that righteousness, being all right with God, isn't just about following rules. Jesus demonstrates that there's a spirit within what God asks of us. The spirit of the commandments 
is more important than the letter. Striving to live God's way means risking more than keeping the rules. It's tempting when the road is clear and you have an open lane and when you know the road well and you know where the hazards are and you know where the construction zone starts and you know where the OPP usually hide, it's tempting to put the pedal to the metal. But when the police catch up with you, I wouldn't advise saying, officer, I know I broke the letter of the law, but let me tell you how I honored the spirit of the law. I wouldn't advise doing that. But, but you know, it's easy to say, I'm too busy to, too busy to visit, it's so depressing. She won't know who I am. I send cards and gifts, even to say, I pay the bills. She's not my mother. Why should I honor her with my presence when she doesn't know I'm there? Devaluing a life, rejecting, confining, excluding someone from the fullness of life that we enjoy, life full and free, blaming victims, declaring enemies less than human. Well, that's not murder, is it? It's tempting when a new and more attractive opportunity comes along or when you're just tired of the way things are. It's easy to plan an exit or just walk away from a promise you made a while ago. It's easy to play with words. One little slip, a flirtation, that's not adultery, come on. It's tempting to say they have too much. They'll never use it. They won't notice it's gone. I worked hard for them. They owe me. That's not stealing, is it? We can talk ourselves out of and away from the words, the letters of the law. We're good at that. People have always been good at that. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. These all have to do with giving others what they're due and not taking what doesn't belong to us, including life. These all begin with God, what God does, what God requires of us, or what God would never require of us. Because God gave me life through my father and mother, because so many of their generations parented and nurtured me, I will thank them, care for them. They helped make me who I am. I will honor them for who they are. Because God gives everyone's life, another's life is not mine to take. And so I will not willingly take my neighbor's life or diminish it in any way. Because God is faithful to us, I will honor the commitments I make to others. I will honor the bonds that my neighbors have formed in their lives. And because God is love and love is of God, I will value all relationships of love and care. Because God is my provider, I have no need to claim what God has provided to my neighbor. And false witness, this isn't just about little white lies or gossip. Because God has fearfully and wonderfully made 
both my neighbor and me, the deepest truth is that we are one. I can never know all the truth about my neighbor. My neighbor's story isn't mine to tell. When the Pharisees ask Jesus which is the greatest commandment, they're sounding him out. Which law school did he attend? And their question isn't new. It was very common among the rabbis to, to debate what's the greatest commandment, the one that captures the spirit of all 613 of them, not just the top 10 laws. And Jesus' answer isn't new. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. Those are words of Moses. And Jesus goes on. A second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's from Leviticus. It's not a new combination. Then Jesus says, on these two commandments hang all the words of Moses, the words of God's prophets, anything God has said in the past. It's the test. It's the test as we interpret and debate and wonder what the words of Scripture mean for us today. If we can't find love or the call to love behind the words on the page, love wins. <clears throat> it's hard for us to imagine what it's like to live in slavery, to have lost all hope of a better life because you have known nothing else, nor did your parents or your grandparents. And then Moses comes along, speaking for the God your great-grandparents knew. And then miracles start to happen, and you're free. It's hard for us to imagine what it's like to be born, live, and die under imperial oppression. To find religion no help, just a burden. Getting it right with God is beyond reach. And then Jesus comes to preach and teach and live love. You're not completely free yet, but the burden is gone, and you realize that the God you can't reach on your own has come to you. The Ten Commandments, the Law of Moses, Jesus' Law of Love, challenge and guide us, too, in our comfort, wealth, and freedom. It's so hard to know how to live as Christians, as people of faith, in these days of change and confusion. So it's tempting to lash out at others, at a world that seems hostile. And too many Christians, too many people of faith, not just Christians, not just Muslims, are doing just that, lashing out at the world. After all, the best defense is a good offense. Isn't that right? Jesus doesn't say yea or nay to that. He just says, love God with all your heart and soul and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Live this for your sake, your neighbor's sake, and the sake of the world. Amen. Glory to God.